Hey, everybody. Welcome to Listen Money Matters. You can pay now and play later, or you can play now and pay later. But either way, you gotta pay. My name is Matt, and I'm here as always with Andrew. Andrew, how are you, and what are you drinking? Dude, good. Good. And uh, I'm just drinking a beer that you brought. It's the Trendler Alt. Ah, an alt beer from Tired Hands. Mm. Nice. I don't know what alt means, but it's good. Yeah, it's it's like a, kind of like an amber ale-ish. I think. I don't know. I should know that, but I don't. Um, What about you, dude? (laughs) uh, Yesterday was New Year's Day, and I am still recovering from New Year's Eve, so I'm drinking water. (laughs) Because, yeah, went a little hard on New Year's Eve. Well, I'm I'm a little jealous. uh, Cheers to that. Cheers. (laughs) Uh, So, today's catchphrase... Comes from Adam from Louisville, Kentucky. Thank you, Adam. And uh, all right, let's let's uh, let's talk about this. This title's uh, <clears throat> scary. Salacious. Yeah, something. So uh, apparently, Ray Dalio uh, published an essay called "The World Has Gone Mad and the System Is Broken." Mm-hmm. He has been for some time writing these essays, mm-hmm. uh, and I. I chose this one specifically because it kind of like grazes across a lot of his essays and i think it's very like succinct in what he thinks the problems are but he thinks things are uh they don't like things in finance and the global economy don't make sense right now who is he like what is he and why do we he's the founder and ceo of the world's largest hedge fund uh bridgewater capital okay um and to kind of just give it a long and short, he has made an enormous amount of money doing investing things, but he's a brilliant financial mind. He is responsible, for example, for uh, the McDonald's chicken nugget. What? Um, not not in that he's like, hey, we should fry some chicken and sell it to people, but to deliver a chicken nugget for like a dollar for six at scale with the, you know, whatever, and, and the financial engineering of chicken futures and so he so, created that pink goo shit that we see online well i don't know about that i think all that's right. that's horse is what you're talking okay about. all right all right horse yes but, and, but he's done other things like the mcdonald's chicken nugget thing but basically he is uh just really really good at money in the economy sounds like a warren buffett type yes but a little bit more vocal right and okay. i would say what warren is is like this value investing fundamentals. Ray is like more of an active macroeconomic. Got it. Okay, understood. So, what what is this? What what do you what does he mean by the world has gone mad and the system is broken? Because you read so this, I didn't read this. Yeah. So so um, I read it a few times, uh, and he should have read it. <laughs> he uh, no, it's, it's good because then then you'll ask the good questions. All right. Hopefully, he, uh, his writing is thick. I believe there's what is he, like he's bold, bolded text. <laughs> he, he like one sentence will have like 18 meanings and like things okay. in it. So you kind of have to like keep going over it. Or maybe I'm just my reading level is yeah, not that yeah, high. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's probably more likely the case. Yeah, you're at a fifth but, grade um, reading level. He's been obsessed with this like paradigm shift that's happening. And uh, so this is kind of along those lines. And he has uh, four key things that he believes that are happening. Or not believes that are happening and what why he thinks are happening mm-hmm. that are causing this paradigm shift in the global economy, um, and so we're gonna like talk about those, and then at the end the things that he alludes to, um, or or like literally directly says that you should be doing. Um, oh, so he does offer to, to solutions. potentially mitigate. He he's very soft on that. He's he's uh, cautious, like anyone should be in predicting 
the future. Of course. But but he gives kind of um thoughts as to why he, okay. he makes these decisions. Got it. So what's the first thing? Okay. So so just jumping in. Yeah. Um the first problem is that uh money is free. You know, it used to money used to cost money. You know, you want to um borrow money Mm -hmm. there there's interest that you have to pay so Mm -hmm. there's a cost associated with that and these days by and large uh money is uh almost free free or actually profitable to to borrow so um Mm. you mean like so it's not free because i mean when what, what is an example of me getting literally free money well, well, let me read this quote. Okay, okay. And then as we go on, you you could say like, hey, stop reading these quotes. Okay, but, uh, all right. Th- this is a quote from Ray. Money is free for those who are credit worthy because the investors giving it to them are willing to get back less than they give. More specifically, investors lending to those who are credit worthy will accept very low or negative interest rates and won't require having their principal paid back for the foreseeable future. Why? So, well, we'll get into why, but uh, there's this uh, Fed rate in the U.S., and this is the rate that banks lend mm-hmm. each other money in the U.S., mm-hmm. and that rate is 1.55% okay. as of recording, and it has been sliding down just consistently, if you follow any, any of the news. Um, and the U.S. is actually of the highest. If you look to countries like Sweden or Switzerland, this rate is negative, meaning that if you borrow money, you actually get paid to borrow money and um japan is zero europe and britain i think europe is zero now britain is very close to zero Mm -hmm. and so if you were to borrow money at a zero percent interest rate there is like not virtually no risk there is no risk right right well there's no there's no fee right yeah and so if the if there was negative it's actually advantageous right yeah why wouldn't why would you ever earn you just keep borrowing because you're because you are earning Exactly. Oh, well, that sounds stupid. That sounds. Wait, what would be the reason for that? Do we even know? So uh, the the reason um, is to stimulate okay. um, the economies, right? Right, or not like the economy, like the U.S., but all, all countries economies. are kind of yeah, right, doing this. Right. And I think what happened is the U.S. was doing it, and then everyone kind of had to do it to compete, right? Um, I have I have another quote. Um. Yeah, I, I have another quote. I think this one is pretty good. Okay. So, um, or maybe maybe there are two long ones. But as a result of this dynamic, the prices of financial assets have gone way up and the future expected returns have gone way down while economic growth and inflation remain sluggish. Mm. Those big price rises and the resulting low expected returns are not just true for bonds. They're equally true for equity equities, private equity, and venture capital. As a result, the expected returns are left to investors' imaginations. Because investors have so much money to invest, Mm -hmm. and to paraphrase, because they're borrowing all this money, Mm -hmm. um, and because of past success uh, success stories of stocks of revolutionary tech companies Mm -hmm. doing so well, more companies than at any time since the dot-com bubble don't have to make profits or even have clear paths to making profits to sell their stocks because they can instead instead sell their dreams to those investors who are flush with money and borrowing power. 
And an example would be Uber, mm-hmm. who like literally burns over a billion dollars a quarter, mm-hmm. has no path to profitability, literally in their IPO filing said they may never be profitable, yet billions of dollars have been invested in them. Um, and it's a result of just so much money sloshing around in the system. Now, as and people... Well, as an investor of Uber, you know, if you're if you're a big, um, say, a venture capital firm and you're investing in something like Uber, where it's been pretty obvious that it's no, it's, it plans to never be profitable. Are you as an investor making money from that? What I, what I believe these people are doing. I mean, so, so no, they are not making money, but the idea is like they invested in Uber knowing that's not profitable because eventually if we get to self-driving cars and Uber dominates self-driving cars and all the costs are driven down and yada, 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 all these things that need to happen, then Uber will own all of transportation, be worth an enormous right. amount of money, and like you will, everything will be Uber. It's a long term thing, right? And it's a it's a really great story, and it may happen, mm-hmm. but like, damn, are there a lot of hurdles to jump, and a lot of imagination? Yeah, it's a world changing thing. Yeah, to get there, mm-hmm. right? And Uber's not the only one. You know, Lyft, similar idea, Beyond Meat, Pinterest, Slack. I mean, insert name of tech company that has IPO'd. Uh, and they're like they're not profitable, you know. Yeah. How stupid was Google to go public when they were profitable? Right. Right. That was like old school. Mm-hmm. So what's uh, yeah? I, I guess the idea there is really long term thinking. Is like it's a it's a game changing industry move, and a, and the payout. You know, while you won't get paid out in the short term, you will get mm. heavily paid out in the long term, p- possibly. Right. But it's a huge gamble. Right. And so this kind of speaks to what we had talked about earlier in the season on how things are very expensive right now Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of money in the system. And so to kind of like simplify this, investors are in many cases being paid to borrow because of negative or, you know, zero interest rates. And as a result, they are then investing that money, pushing up prices because they have more money. And so they're chasing a return, mm-hmm. which is making things more expensive. And because uh, as things get more expensive and there's like less options, they're investing based on dreams and not fundamentals like profitability. So kind of seems a bit whatever. Sounds like a bubble. Yeah, could be. Could be. Um. <laughs> Well, all right, because because here's the thing. While that information is interesting, I don't know how useful it is to me as a person in the world. Right? I'm not a. I don't own a venture capital firm. I don't uh, borrow, or at least I don't live in a country where I get paid to borrow money. Nor like would I need to borrow money for any reason besides a mortgage right now. Right? So we're not, and that's not really what we're talking about, is it? So, uh, so we're not talking about mortgages specifically. Yeah, but when, you, when affects, you say borrow money, what do you like? What are we borrowing for, and why? Right. So, um, it it really doesn't affect. I, it doesn't apply to us. We are affected because of these things that are happening. But Matt, me and you, we can't borrow at one point five five percent. Right. That is not accessible to us. Right. And so, you know, wow, man, I wish I could borrow at <laughs> right, interest right. rate. Right. Exactly. Do you know how many rental properties I would have? Yeah. Right. But the thing is, these forces at play are affecting us. Okay. And, and so, could affect us in the future. Right. Yeah. And so uh, there's there's three other reasons. And then we'll get into like what kind of moves you can make or, or think about. 
as a result. Okay, so do you want to take a break, get into those other three, because I think those three are not as big as this one. Yeah, and yeah, then, yeah, and I need to take a sip of my beer. And, all know. right, so we'll take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the other parts of the of the article or the essay that Ray Dalio has written, plus some practical advice, I guess, for people like you and me. Mm. All right, let's do it. We're, we'll be right back. All right, we're back. Um, all right, what are the other pieces of this essay that you that we need to mention that okay. you think are important, I guess? So, well, I mean, he kind of outlines it. I'm okay. just uh, right. the messenger, the distiller. Okay. Uh, the, the second point is government deficits. Well, we know, and, uh, yeah. I mean, we know it's big, uh, but the so there's the... Um, national debt which is the amount of money we owe that's the, and then there's the big the ass clock in new york right exactly and then there's the deficit which is how much we overspend every budget year mm-hmm. so for the first time in a very very long time our budget uh has a deficit of one trillion dollars meaning that we are we're obviously spending more than a trillion dollars but we are overspending by a trillion dollars cool um you know like i think it's five commas right and um interestingly as a result or as you'd imagine like as you are just overspending the amount of money you need to service these debts becomes increasingly large right Mm -hmm. and so uh in 2019 year just gone by the u.s had to pay 393 billion dollars just to float that balance Mm -hmm. and by 2021 it'll be 549 billion over half a trillion dollars um, just to keep the train rolling. Okay, and we're not doing anything to solve this. Doesn't, doesn't look no, like it. and you know th- this this could be to our dysfunctional politics to to never solve it. Right. Um, but but it's interesting in how it happens because it's not just the U.S. It's m- many okay. of the major economies: Europe, Japan. Um, and so I want to read a quote from okay. Ray. Where will the money come from to buy these bonds and fund these deficits? Mm. It will almost certainly come from central banks, which will buy the debt that is produced with freshly printed money. This whole dynamic in which sound finance is thrown out the window will continue and probably accelerate. And so what happens now? Uh, the fund the debts, we essentially just print more dollars, right. which you know is inflation to a degree. Um, I mean, it sounds like money is meaningless. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like the, the what we consider a dollar bill, there's no backing. It's backed by no. it's backed kind of like it's in the in the way that cryptocurrency is backed. There's no literal gold mine, you know that. If you think of so like uh, they they call like the U.S. dollar the world's reserve currency, right? Okay. When times are bad, people flee to the dollar. They buy U.S. Treasuries. Yeah. Um, and what is kind of happening is the U.S. is cashing in on that. Yeah. Great. And so you know, um, nothing bad is happening now, and I, and I don't think that Ray is a doomsayer per se. I think mm. he's just trying to shine a light on what's happening and maybe things will change but the idea is that this is what's happening um obviously not sustainable okay these deficits the money has to come from somewhere and if you keep printing money it eventually uh won't be worth the paper it's printed on right because we're a long ways off right 
and maybe the only thing holding us back is how fast we can print. And, right, and, and bigger trees. printers. And, yeah, <laughs> bigger printers. Or it's probably not even that. It's not even printing it anymore. It's, you know, because it's not literal dollar bills, like paper dollar bills. It's just a, it's just a Digital. binary. Yeah, it's a binary code in a system. And it's like if that. But they may have to print more bills, which is why, just to kind of fast forward, I think we should all be investing in Xerox. Yeah, because right, that, yeah, that is where the money <laughs> is. Printing technology. Yeah, printing technology. Yeah. Uh, what else uh, should we... What else do we need to cover here? All right. To number three. Okay. Um, pension and healthcare liabilities. And so kind of not a thing for a lot of people that are working now, but our parents, mm-hmm. certainly a lot of them have pensions, um, whether they work for the government, you know, because they're a teacher mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. whatever, um, or even just private pensions. Um, and then like uh, healthcare that would that was kind of guaranteed like Medicare or whatever through old age. Right. And, right. You know, but people are living longer. Yep. And returns in the stock market aren't as great um, as they used to be. Yep. They, these pensions were kind of built under the assumption. Well, I know, I know a lot of people lost half their pensions in 2008. Like all that money yeah. that was built up, gone. I was just talking to a friend back in, in Jersey and like my dad's friend who, yeah, he was a, I, he was a trucker and, had a pension and in 2008, 50% of it that was there is gone. And so now he gets to retire at half of what he thought he would be retiring at. Which is not fair, but also it was it was under false pretenses. It was something that was like sold as a thing that was never real. Right. Because 7% is not the normal now. And mm-hmm. so um, what has happened is that these pensions are underfunded. So they have obligations to pay people out. And they just do not have the money to pay them out. And uh, these liabilities, you know, these pension payments and stuff are starting to become over uh, overdue, mm. you know, and like my parents, your parents, they're part of the boomer generation. Yep. Um, my parents aren't retired yet. I don't believe yours are. Nope. Um, my parents don't have pensions, so it's kind of a moot Same. thing. Yeah. But uh, a lot of boomers may have to deal with this yeah and then what does that mean for us <laughs> like is there going to be any money left <laughs> well uh there's there's three ways that this could be resolved okay. and, and so this is a, a really quick quote from ray okay there will likely be an ugly battle to determine how much of the gap will be bridged by one cutting benefits yeah two raising taxes and three printing money this will exacerbate the wealth gap. And while none of these three paths are good, printing money is the easiest path mm-hmm. because it is the most hidden way of creating a wealth transfer. How will this exacerbate the wealth gap? So uh, if you can imagine this political battle that, that will go on in the future, mm-hmm. there will be the haves yep. who will say, stop giving away all of these benefits, cut you know, cut them. Yeah. We can't afford them. Right. And then there'll be all of the, I don't want to say have, have nots, but the people who are relying on this Mm -hmm. and they're saying, Hey, you promise this to us. You have to pay us, uh, rich people or just people in general. You need to pay more in taxes. Right. Well, that you, yeah. So, but raising taxes probably isn't going to happen you know, just to one class of people, it's probably going to happen across the board, right? But we've already had a huge tax cut and it really only affected the, you know, the upper class people. Mm. 
right? Still mm. a tax cut, but yeah, it I, needs to go in the opposite direction. I we don't we need more revenue. We need more revenue, right? To, to me, this seems like I mean, this is basic business, right? This the government is a business, just giant, right? Yes, and it offers services that are like Google. Like Google has free services, you know, like mm. you can use Google Docs for completely free. And if you they show up at the DMV at any day that you want, yep. and, and if they took yeah. away Google Docs, I'd be like, oh, I got you making me pay for Word now. <laughs> like, yeah. no thanks. Um, I think, you know, yeah, cutting benefits is like, yeah, you 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 probably could cut some. There's definitely benefits out there that could be cut, right? Mm-hmm. It's but you know that's the argument is like, I, and I think right now. It's, you know, Republicans like, you know, they don't want the government to be doing really anything. Everyone should be should be self-sufficient and the economy should kind of like dictate itself. Right. And so mm-hmm. if, you know, the government shouldn't be responsible for providing these free services, businesses should be, you know, providing these free services. And they will if there is a benefit to them providing these free services. And so um, and then, the you know, raising taxes is essentially, you know, the same as in, in a business like increasing revenue, you know, raising your prices uh, and, you know, maybe uh, investing a little bit more in marketing and and trying to acquire more customers like that is that's that's the, essentially the same thing. And then printing money is basically uh, it's almost more like they're the same. Well, they're, it's almost like that isn't even the game. You know what I mean? It's, it's like a cheat. It's like a cheat code. So it's like if you're running a business and I had my choice between, you know, cutting expenses, raising raising revenue or just getting more money. That's like, mm. I'll just do that part. Like the yeah. other two are much harder. Interestingly, I didn't even know if that the, was possible. Well, it, it's a way of, uh, screwing savers, right? So if you had debt and then you print it, say there was like only a hundred dollars in existence. Yes. Right. And you had those hundred dollars in debt. Mm-hmm. So you you owed like the whole world's money, mm-hmm. and then a hundred more dollars were printed. Like technically, the value of each dollar of your debt was halved. Yeah, right. And so when we print money, um, what we're doing is instead of taxing you, Matt, the guy who saved money because he worked really hard and didn't buy, you know, this, that, and the other thing, mm-hmm. we're just kind of silently taking it out of your account. Right. That sucks. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's a you know like I th- I think too there's just people who like me and you who save money and like you know decided to um you know we're obviously privileged and we took it upon ourselves to like you know get better with money and and be more responsible and uh organized and all those things. And there's people who like you know there's people who don't do that. They don't take that action for whatever reason or can't take that action. And I think the idea of cutting benefits to those people is a tough sell. I mean, because some people need it and we should offer it to them or somebody should offer it to them. And, you know, people who, who are responsible, like that's the problem with this whole thing is like the people who, you know, are quote unquote responsible with money feel unfairly treated because there are, because there are people who don't choose that. And I'm not saying all people, there's some people who don't choose that path. And we, and then they think, well, they're getting all the benefits because they're, you know, they're getting these free things that, you know, we won't get because we have money and we made the responsible choice, quote unquote. And it's like, you know, well, how the fuck? I mean, that's an, it feels like an unsolvable problem. You know, we're not a political podcast and I don't even want to wade into that area. But what I have found is that um, 
you can like reduce taxes mm -hmm. and that would be like a popular thing but increasing taxes is insanely hard and so like you kind of like are losing ground right like you're never going to really tax the middle class at a higher rate you're going to squeeze them yeah whatever um and i think that uh what is happening and maybe not in this election maybe it's the next x elections uh a lot of thought should be put towards like which camp you personally sit in like if you are one who is taxed at an insane rate because you're super wealthy um and you just don't want to have your taxes raised to pay for these benefits then you should really be with a political camp that's against it but if you foresee that you or your parents may be needing these benefits it would behoove you to side with the team that's going in that direction because these are like slow moving things mm -hmm. uh, and it's going to, it's going to happen slowly then all at once. You know, it, it kind of, it makes me think a little bit about like the, you know, the app world and mm. how you like, say you have a Netflix account, right? And you pay for the Netflix account. It's, you know, say it's, I don't know what it is anymore. $10 a month. Right. And, mm. God, how out of touch uh, are you? I know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I share an account with my dad. So he, so like $10 a month is your account, right? And mm -hmm. so like, uh, fine, that's great. Uh, and then you have, if you buy it for the whole year, which means you have to have extra capital, you save money, right? So you buy it for the whole year. So for the people who have more money, we're giving them a discount. Versus the people who are like, no, I just want it. I, I can only afford $10 a month. And then, and maybe Netflix is a bad example, but then there's like the free trial, right? It's like, or there's like, you know, the free version, the freemium version of the app. So it's like, you can have this thing for free. You're just not going to get all the same benefits as the people who pay, mm. right? And I kind of feel like, truth be told, the people who pay fund, fund the free the, trial. Right, exactly. So it happens in business all the time. Mm. And that's, essentially what we're doing and just on a global scale or on a, a go, go, you know, national scale, I guess here, just, I don't know. And I, maybe Netflix was literally the worst example I could think of, but it was like, they don't have a free version of their software. Uh, but there are, there are, yeah, companies that have free versions and then they have the paid version and then they have the, you know, buy it for a year and you save money. So it really like benefits the rich people they get the biggest they get the biggest savings oh for sure you know what i mean and it's an excellent segue to point number four okay oh which is yeah i read that's it right. <laughs> technological advances yeah yeah and we we have talked about this mm -hmm. and you know we can deny that it is a thing for only so much longer but but it's it's a thing yeah um Back in the day, uh, there was a massive demand for human capital. We needed people to do like literally the most menial things. Yeah, work. Yeah, work. And, you know, work that didn't even necessarily require a brain. It just required, like, I don't know, picking a thing up, moving it, putting it down, yes. whatever. But as technology has evolved and has continued to evolve, like, we need these people less and less. Yeah, automation. Now, yeah, when I go to CVS, I always choose a self-checkout yeah, line, not only because I don't want to talk to anyone, but it's infinitely faster. It's yeah. so much faster. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know how me doing all of it versus me with the help of someone else, you know, is faster. But, but it is. Right. 
And that's just like one example of, yes, you know, yeah. self-driving cars being the elephant in the room. I think uh, like about uh, a, a large, I think it's the single biggest employer of people in the U.S. is driving, driving. related things, trucking, mm-hmm. taxi, you know, like Uber mm-hmm. delivery. Um, it's coming. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I would be I would be shocked if we saw it in our life in our next 10 years. You'd be shocked if we saw a, a completely autonomous driving in the next 10 years. So I think it was like a year ago. Um, we did an episode on uh, like the future of work. Mm hmm. Something, something like that. I forgot the title. And the consensus among uh, CEOs of car manufacturers was that uh, 2025 will be the inflection point where there'll be more self-driving cars on the road than not self-driving cars. So not completely by 2025. And it will be, and it is happening already. Um, I think there's a self, like an autonomous shuttle in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that there's a lot of stuff happening in Phoenix, Arizona, yeah. but that's kind of the agreement is 2025 and, you know, big cities like New York, it'll come first. I'll tell you what mm. I, over the, over the holiday break, I was back in New Jersey and I got to drive a Tesla model three. Ooh, so jealous. Uh, I'll be honest. Like it, it was cool, but I have no, I know so much about the car that like nothing shocked me and like it, seeing it in person didn't make it any like cooler because i already knew all the things mm. but i did the you know autonomous driving like i sat in the car and like you know on the highway on, or... on the highway i mean it doesn't stop at red lights doesn't stop at stop signs it shows you the stop sign but it doesn't it doesn't stop there there's some cool parts it's nowhere near ready for prime time mm. just nowhere so like even but the amount of uh, success it has to have for yes. highway driving to allow you, right. Matt Givanisi, some guy who's just like, hey, let me check this out to be safe enough because mm-hmm. one accident is going to blow it up for everybody. Yep, yep. And as soon, and if there are other people on the road driving, those are those people are probably more likely to cause the accident than the you know the mm-hmm. automated driving. But I mean, they're not going to blame the driver. So I think that. Again, I I would be shocked in, if in ten years we had it. I I'd be I think shocked. the progress, I'd be shocked if we had a hundred percent electric cars in ten years. That's not going to happen. No, 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 it won't, it won't happen just because there's so many out there. But uh, people and just like the stock market or, or productivity or anything, people think like linearly mm-hmm. in terms of whatever. But most of these things happen exponentially. And when it comes to self-driving cars, every Tesla is like a mini hive mind collecting all of the data as you drive the car and sending it back to Tesla so they can improve right, their time. algorithms. So the more fleet, more of the fleet that's out there, like the faster they'll, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's just, and that's just one specific technology that could be, that can be very impactful to the work, you know. It's just like a very obvious one. Yeah, right. it's an easy one to, to recognize. Mm. Um. All right, so yeah, we have all those. All right, so this is the the, the doomsday or the or I should say like, and I hate doomsday things. That is not no, but know. but but this is the title of the of the podcast plus the title of his essay, which is the world has gone mad and the system is broken. We have we have covered that, right? Mm-hmm. He believes yes. it. We see it. Here are the reasons why he believes those things. Now, now, now what exactly? Yeah, and uh, so we've we've actually talked about these things on the show mm-hmm. before. Um, I don't know exactly in this context, um, 
but uh, one uh, one of the most popular episodes. So, so how do we prepare for this? Uh, prepare for this, right? Yeah. Uh, one of the most popular episodes on the show lately is the Golden Butterfly episode we do. Yep. And we talk about the all weather portfolio, which is Ray Dalio's like quote unquote perfect portfolio, and then the Golden Butterfly, which is very very similar, like kind of incrementally different. Yeah, it's like four quadrants as opposed to five quadrants. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that uh, shows up in these portfolios that I thought was really interesting and had never really thought about before um, is gold. Mm -hmm. And uh, gold is one of these things. It's like the U.S. dollar is the the world's reserve currency. But really, gold is the world's reserve currency. Right. And we could go on and on about like the uses for gold. uh, And it almost doesn't matter because people do what people do. And when times are bad people put their money in gold. Mm -hmm. That's just what people do. Yeah, Uh, It's a store of value. And you can't create more gold. You could pull it out of the ground, but it's limited. Yeah, there's only only so much oil in the ground. Yeah, it's a symbol of safety. And if enough people believe it, then that's all that matters. That's kind of what assigns value to the dollar. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we have this great quote from Ray. uh, And this is like an old quote that's kind of like all over the place. Um, And He's, he's quoted as saying, if you don't own gold, you know neither history nor economics. And so the idea is that um, it's not like, oh my God, the world's going to end. Let me buy a ton of gold. He suggests investing between 5 and 10% of your portfolio in gold. And it's just like a smart hedge and diversification move. Do you think I have any gold in Betterment? No. Okay. So, Wait, no. Okay. So 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 if I'm <laughs> if I if my only investment is is in a robo advisor, chances are it's probably not five or ten percent gold. Hmm. And to to add, yeah. So I, it's it's really not okay. Um, and to put another quote of his in there, uh, we have a situation now where when you have too much debt, too much debt leads to printing of money to make it easier to service, which we talked about earlier. So all of those things means that some portion of an investment portfolio should be in gold. And the kind of like deducing of the reasons from the prior episode is as you print more money, the money becomes worth less. Right. And so the way that you kind of hedge against that is to put your money in something that that can't be devalued like that. Right. And well, it can be if, if it can be if the world decides we don't value gold anymore. Right. But, you know, out of what, however many billion people on the earth, unlikely you're going to sway that many minds. I think to... I think you should be investing in water. <laughs> I, I actually also agree. And I've been slightly obsessed. That I, there may be an episode on that coming okay. up. Um, you know, but like this is kind of where the whole crypto thing was born out of. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe in it personally. Neither. I don't think that will be what people think it will be. But, you know, if that's something... Like th- that's where the logic kind of ties. The technology certainly, the blockchain yes. technology certainly, very cool, and a lot of like applications that don't necessarily need to be paying for a Big Mac. Right, exactly. Um, what else can we do? So, God, gold. I should. All right, here's a here's a question for you. I don't invest in gold right now. Matt Givenisi does not invest in gold. Okay. How should I invest in gold? You could just use. Um, the golden butterfly portfolio mm-hmm. or the uh, uh, all weather portfolio. Like, no, no, no. If literally, you, how do I do it? How do you do it? So there are ETFs where you can do it. And essentially, they have like 
vaults with actual gold bullions mm-hmm. valued at X, and then you, the ETF is just a fractional share of that. But and I so can't think. Do, but I can't do that through Betterment. You cannot. So how would I do it? So uh, if you go to our article on uh, the all weather portfolio or, or you know whatever the golden butterfly, um, I kind of break it down. I show it, and there is a link. Uh, like you could click on the picture. There's also a link you could click it, and it'll show you a portfolio with all the proper porf- uh, proportions. Mm-hmm. And you could just literally just do that, and it's and it's free. Through it's, what? I, I, I you could you could do it through any. Uh, the my link is through M1 Finance okay. because they allow you to put pies with proportions, but Fidelity, Schwab, whatever. I outlined the Robinhood. Could do it, Robinhood. You could do it through Robinhood. Uh, the ticker symbols are there, so you could just be like, "Hey, I love Robinhood. Let me just go to the article, grab the ticker symbols, and I'll just DIY it myself." Yeah, not difficult at all. Right. Um. So you could. So you I know? could. So like, uh, you know, like Betterman could be like, you know, a qua- like one or two quadrants of my pie, and then another quadrant of gold. I could just have it separate over at uh something like B- B- Robinhood or whatever, and then like Robinhood becomes my my gold quadrant where I do that part. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay, cool. Yes. Cool. I like that. Yeah. So so if you wanted to just kind of use, say, Robinhood to add gold to your portfolio, you could take the sum total of your assets and then calculate five, ten percent and just use Robinhood for gold. Right. Robinhood being a free investing. Thing. Do you think that I should take what I have now in my investments and pull out five or ten percent and move it into gold or start from zero now? So I I believe, or, or the way that I am treating my investments and, and kind of going forward is that every dollar that I invested, I invested because I believed it made sense at that time uh-huh. based on all the information that was available to me. And so that's like literally, locked. in my mind, locked in stone cool. for eternity. All right, I, like right? I yes. plan to never use it. Cool. But going forward, I may change my opinion or I may feel things are cheaper. And so then I will go in that direction and perhaps heavier in some cases to offset if i feel that's necessary right. and plus it, i don't think it's a good idea to necessarily take large lump sums of money out of your investments to move it because what if you move it that large lump sum and then that one quadrant takes a, a nosedive and you lost that then, money then you'd be placing a bet you're right. saying like it is literally better than what you had right versus kind of having a more holistic approach and and you're not taking advantage of dollar cost averaging at that point either Exactly. Right. And then not to mention the tax implications right. of just moving it. Exactly. Because if you have $1,000 and half of that is growth and you move it, you're not getting $1,000 in gold. You're See, getting much less. That's really good advice. The, the advice of like, if you want to start the all-weather portfolio or the golden butterfly portfolio, start from zero today. Not mm-hmm. not try to reorganize all the shit that you've already been doing. I'm glad you brought that up. Exactly. Okay. Like when Laura and I started, and I think we started about a year ago, mm-hmm. we started at zero dollars. Yeah. I think we were putting in a few thousand a month, and it just over time that that accumulates. Yeah. That's it's great. it's kind of like that you could do the same thing with uh, rental properties. If you listen to any of our episodes and you're like, you know what, Andrew's talking about rental properties. I really want to get into that. Don't take that money out of your already invested like money to move it over into a rental property. Start today saving up money for your rental property while you continue to do your other investments. Yeah, and it's it's harder that way. It's harder that which way. Which is a net good thing yes. for you and long-term and thinking. Okay, what else can we do besides so, gold? Number 1 is gold. Yes. Number 2, uh unsurprisingly, is cash. And that's like money that sits in an interest-bearing account or in treasury bills and, you know, 
kind of contrary to the whole printing of money devaluing your dollars. Hopefully the interest uh, from, you know, uh, a savings account or treasury bill belays some of that. But the main the main goal is what we've also talked about in an earlier episode, which is building an opportunity fund. Mm-hmm. So having cash that is ready to deploy when there are deals. Yeah. And you know, we could sit here on the mic and and we will and we do uh-huh. postulate what these things might be. Yes. But we'll never know. Never right. Know. And you'll never know. No one will ever know. But when it happens and you can see with your own eyes, well, seeing is believing. Yes. And if you have money available, you can then buy cheap assets as a result of fear. Right. And so one thing that I thought was fascinating as I was like kind of researching other people who are, you know, hoarding cash. Mm-hmm. I actually didn't have to look that far because Warren Buffett um, is hoarding cash more than he has ever, ever. Um, and so currently, his com- his holding company, Berkshire mm-hmm. Hathaway, over 60% of its value is now cash, roughly $122 billion. Isn't Apple so he, doing shit like that too? They are, okay. but you know, th- their company deploying cash for different reasons. Yeah. You know, they literally can't deploy it fast enough. Um, Warren only buys deals. He is a value investor. Mm-hmm. And it just shows that he does not see any deals. And the nature of his businesses, they're generating profits. And he would usually take those profits and continue to invest them. Oh, that's interesting. But he's not. So if you if a, if a holding company like that is, is just hoarding cash, then they don't see deals out there in the market right now. It's that's- not just a holding company. It's like the... the like creator, the 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 spokesperson for value investing. Right. More than half of his assets are essentially in cash right now. And I'm not saying that you should do that. I mean, we don't have access to deals like he does. Sure. But it well, should give you pause. Well, hold on a second. I think we do. It's like if, you know, uh, you know, obviously I'm still kind of talking and postulating about buying a house at some point in my life. And it's like, you know, there the, wouldn't you also, I mean, it's it's not technically an investment if you live in it, right? But mm-hmm. don't you still want a deal? Because it does oh, pay off sure. in the future, right? I mean, if, if you sell it, I mean, it's still worth something, and it does go towards your net worth. So I should if be saving. If your neighbor bought it for a hundred thousand, why are you going to pay one hundred and fifty thousand? Yeah. Then your neighbor just knows you're an idiot, right? And it's just like, oh, I want convenience. It's like, yeah, but you know, you should be looking for a deal, and I'm, mm-hmm. and it's hard for me to think about, but it's something I need to do. And yeah, sometimes that just means being patient. Being patient, yeah. Being patient, keeping your eyes peeled. Mm. What else can we do? So the the one final thing, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, we, we said gold, cash, those are obvious. Uh, the final one um, is dividend-bearing stocks. And so these are companies that, pay that are earning money, and they are giving you a share of their profits. Mm. But not just any dividend company. Again, another episode that we've done. I believe we did it together, Matt. Okay. Um, the, the dividend aristocrats or similar, which are companies that have a extremely strong history of not only paying dividends, but increasing the, over the time, uh, yeah. payout of dividends over time. And so specifically dividend aristocrat companies have consistently increased their dividend payouts for 25 years, 25 consecutive years, okay. which is damn hard, mm-hmm. a stalwart style business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, and then you're getting a share of the profits. So- do you know of any companies off the top of your head? Doesn't have to be a bunch, but that are considered dividend aristocrat companies. Um, I think Coca Cola 
okay. is one of them. Yeah. Um, there's there's like the dividend aristocrats, and there's another similar style index on the Nasdaq, and I was looking into that, mm. and Microsoft is on that list, and okay, you know, it's not obviously 25 consecutive years of dividend payout growth, but the idea being like really strong, solid, fundamental companies that are that, that are that profiting and that, paying and paying back, right? Yeah. That's their primary way of returning value to shareholders, right? And um, besides, like the S and P five hundred, I'm I'm sure they're in that, right? Because mm-hmm. that's kind of like what that so is. That the dividend aristocrats are only in the S and P five hundred. Okay, that's kind of like. And then is there like could could I invest in just a bunch of? Is there like a fund of just aristocrats? Yes. Okay. And so um, it's noble, you know. Mm. Um, but it's <laughs> without a N O B L is a ticker, okay. and that's the dividend aristocrats as you know, whatever. Um, there is another one that I believe is better, not quite the aristocrats, but the fees cheaper. It's from Vanguard. It's on the NASDAQ. So it has companies like Microsoft that I want to be a part of. Um, and the fee is uh, a, a fraction of the noble and the ticker is just VIG. Do you think I'm investing in any of those through Betterment? Some well, de- of well, definitely the... De- well, definitely like the S and P five hundred. But am I getting VIG? Am I getting Noble? You're getting some of the companies. Like it, it would, I would be highly doubtful that through Betterment you didn't own some of Microsoft. Got it you. is a, such a large company in the U.S. economy. You own some of them. It's a safe bet too. Well, uh, right, but well, I mean, yeah. I, I think yeah. I mean, whether whatever with Microsoft, the, if you're buying the U.S. economy, you're buying. Microsoft, right? They're like a trillion Got dollar it. company, right? Right. Um. All right. So gold, perhaps not enough. So, yeah. so the recap: put some money in gold starting today, if you don't, if you, mm. if you haven't already done it, and allocate around five to ten percent of your total investing capital into gold. Right. So we're not flipping out. We're not going all in gold. Yep. We're just putting a measured amount. Yeah. Into little, our portfolio. Little, yeah. A little bit. A little bit at a time. Um, and saving some money, building up, building up a kick-ass opportunity fund, which I have been doing through Betterment. Betterment has their new Betterment Everyday Cash Reserve mm. Savings Account, and and you get interest. You get, uh, um, I think it's at one today. It was at one point eight, I think, percent interest, which is decent, you know. And I've just right been, about inflation, so it's like at, in stasis mode. Yep, which is perfect. Yep, and I'm just throwing, I'm just any extra cash that's coming in, I'm throwing at it because. You know, that's kind of my house down payment fund at some point in time, you know, mm. uh, whether I'm ready or not. Um, so once I'm ready and I feel like, oh, I have enough cash and I'm going to start actively looking and I'm going to start actively looking for a deal. and I'm going to hire a real estate agent to help me find that deal because I have no interest in doing that shopping myself. Uh, and plus, I don't have that knowledge and I don't care to have that knowledge. Uh, I will find somebody who does. And. The third thing is investing in companies, the dividend aristocrats who pay out dividends and have mm-hmm. been consistently paying out dividends for at least 25 years on the up and up. Which is about as strong as it gets of something that you could bet on. Yes. Right. That they will continue to pay dividends. Right. And uh, two of the the funds that incorporate these dividend aristocrats are NOBL from they're just a you know, it's just a standard ticker. And then from Vanguard, VIG is the fund there. 
Both are ETFs. Yeah. Both are ETFs. One, the Vanguard one, has lower fees. But way lower. But we're point zero six. Yeah. Yeah. Versus point zero three five percent. No, point three five. Point three five, right. Instead of wow. So 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 six one sixth of the fees. Yeah. So that's uh I mean it's Vanguard though, you know. Mm. Low fees, that's their thing, they're, right? They're good like that. They're yeah. good like that. Uh anything else you want to say before we wrap things up? Hey, that's all. Just wanted to kind of convey the information. Uh do with it as you will. Um, I don't think the world is ending. Um, but it may have gone mad. <laughs> okay, there you go. And if you if you missed anything, we'll have everything in the show notes. You can check your preferred podcast app or you can visit listenmoneymatters.com slash show. And as always, New Year, please subscribe where you normally listen to podcasts. It's, you know, it's January as we're recording this. So now's the time to start thinking about personal finance and, you know, just, I don't know, organizing your, your finances, trying to get a little bit better, even incrementally better. And uh, you can do that by listening to this podcast and telling your friends to also listen to this podcast and point them to your favorite episodes. Specifically, we mentioned uh, a few in this in this episode, but I highly recommend the Golden Butterfly episode. Mm. Uh, this episode's also, we talked a lot about that as well. And uh, if you point them to your favorite episodes, hopefully they'll become a subscriber as well. And if you have any questions that you'd like us to talk about on this show or answer on the show or topics you want want us to discuss on this show as it pertains to personal finance and money, please email us at listenmoneymatters at gmail.com, listenmoneymatters at gmail.com. And all the tools and resources we normally mention on the show are available over at listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox. That's it. Mm. Later, Andrew. Later, man. Please tell your friends about this show. Thank <laughs> you.